The following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. All right. Fasting, fasting is not a joke. Gandhi, Gandhi fasted. In fact, while climbing barefoot on sharp rocks, barefoot, barefoot up mountains to meditate, Gandhi would squeeze a little garlic into his mouth to deal with his hunger pains. You know what they called him? A super calloused, fragile mystic with extra halitosis. (laughs) Fasting is not a joke. Fasting has lost its way. We are massively confused about it because when you hear the term fasting today, you think immediately, what word? Dieting. That's right, dieting. It's the super craze of our day. Looking good, not eating. Fasting is out of control. There's the 16-8 method for fasting 16 hours, then you eat for 8 hours. <laughs> There's the 5-2 method, where you normally eat 5 days, and on 2 days you eat only 500 calories. There's the eat-stop-eat, which is a 24-hour fast once or twice a week, alternative day fasting, and just it goes on and on and on. You've heard them all, but dieting has nothing to do absolutely nothing to do with the Lord's purpose for fasting. His purpose is completely different. So you've got to take our modern view and put it aside for a moment. Today, we've actually lost the Lord's purpose for fasting because of the dieting craze and because sometimes when we read the scriptures, we read passages like Mark chapter 2 that confuse people. So here are the Pharisees asked Jesus two questions. They asked him first, who are you eating with? I can't believe you're eating with these people. Secondly, why are you eating and drinking at all? In fact, we the Pharisees, we fast. John disciples fast. But you, your man, Jesus, you, you don't fast at all. Why are your disciples, Jesus, feasting and we're all fasting? That was the question. Well, John the Baptist was in prison at the time, so it possibly... John's disciples were fasting for him for that manner. Uh, His followers are still very aesthetic in their lifestyle. And the Pharisees made such a practice of fasting that it became obvious to everyone and everybody knew it. So the Pharisees say to Jesus, if you're really serious about God's kingdom, God's work, God's will, then how come you don't fast like we all fast? Well, he answers it in Mark chapter 2, verse 19. He says to them... While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast. Can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Jesus likens himself here to a bridegroom and his disciples as the guests of the bridegroom. And in their culture, as ours, a wedding is a time of celebration and joy. As long as the bridegroom is with them, they're not going to fast. It's a celebration. Uh, You don't fast at a wedding celebration. It's as if Jesus says to them, are you kidding me? Not celebrate? Uh, that's, That's absurd. Now, the one of you in this room that has Christ, 
the one who is actually following Christ, knows Christ, and is intimate and in Christ, who lives now in God's presence, you should be characterized, and I should be characterized, and we sang songs that would characterize us by joy. Joy is one of the manifestations and celebration. Obviously, would you agree that there are far too many dill-pickle Christians? Are you with me on this? And Christians should be known for joy, not gloom. They should be known for celebration, not sadness. We have way too much to be rejoicing over. Way too much. But these comments by Christ, as he writes, and they're recorded for us by Mark in his gospel, have confused people. And they led some people, especially Christians, to believe that they're not to fast. Is that true? Answer? No. No. But where did fasting come from? Well, fasting has been practiced throughout human history. Many ancient peoples really believed that demons would enter the body through the food you ate. And so when they felt they were under demonic attack, they would fast to prevent more evil spirits from gaining access to their body. Then the yogis of Eastern religions were committed to just really be fasting. And they fasted often fasting for long periods of time in order to receive mystic visions. That's what they did it for. Now, I've got to confess, and I'm being really honest and sincere here. When I fast, I get visions. But it's typically of in and out <laughs> and a pepperoni pizza. It typically is that. A little bit different, but understand. But today, fasting is so popular that so many people in this room fast, but it's a part of their diet. It's physical reasons. But the Bible records no teaching, no routine of fasting for practical dietary reasons. Legitimate fasting always has a spiritual purpose. Write that down. It always has a spiritual purpose. It is never presented as having any value in and of itself. It is for a spiritual purpose. During the Old Testament, many believers fasted. Uh, men like David and Samuel and Samson and Hannah and Elijah and Moses and Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Daniel, all fasted. New Testament, John the Baptist, uh, uh, Paul, Jesus, his disciples all fasted. The early church fathers fasted. The reformers, Luther, Calvin, fasted. And many other outstanding Christians throughout history have fasted. But the only fast that is actually commanded in Scripture is directed at the nation of Israel during the Day of Atonement. And on that day, all the people were, Leviticus 16 and 23, to, the word is in Hebrew, humble their souls, and that has the idea of forsaking food as an act of self-denial. Forsaking food. That was a national fast involving every man, woman, and child. But it occurred only one time a year and only as an integral part of the Day of Atonement. Because fasting was not elsewhere commanded by God, fasting is unlike the other spiritual disciplines that the Jewish people practiced during the first century. Track it with me? The Jewish people practiced giving, they practiced praying, and they practiced fasting. But giving and praying are commanded both in the Old Testament and commanded giving and praying in the New Testament, but not fasting. Fasting is unique in that 
except for the yearly fast given to the nation of Israel, fasting was never required. Never. So fasting is to be entirely non-compulsory, right? A volunteer-only action. You can write that down. Never a required spiritual duty or a routine practice to be scheduled. Now, there might be a few of you here going, why in the world are we talking about fasting? I'm so glad you asked. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount. And as we go verse by verse, word by word, not skipping anything that's there, we are now in Matthew chapter 6, and guess what Jesus is talking about today? There you go. That's why we're talking about it. And in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord now teaches you about this practice. There's a wrong way to do it, and there's a right way to do it. And you need to know. So take your outline, follow along, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, if you're not there already. In this message, as Christ is preaching to this crowd on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, he's on a slope, it's perfect acoustics, it's a wonderful day, the scenery is gorgeous, and there's probably two to 3,000 people listening in, along with his disciples that are surrounding him. And he's testing them. He's testing them as to see where their faith is at. And he's using their normal practices. Well, a normal practice for just a solid Jewish believer is to be praying, is to be giving, and attending the temple exercises, okay? But also to be fasting. And he wants them to examine their hearts to see if this is something they do from their heart to honor the Lord alone, or is it something they do for show? Something they do to appear devout? Something they do so that people will think they're spiritual? Uh, Is it an internal heart of faith, or is it some sort of show of hypocrisy? So he's testing them to say, do you have legitimate faith? Are you genuinely a, a Yahweh follower, right? A Christ follower. So the spiritual examples of their day, the scribes and the Pharisees, When they gave, verses 1 through 4 of Matthew 6, they gave for show. When they prayed, verses 5 to 15 of Matthew chapter 6, they prayed for show. And when they fasted, verses 16 through 18, they fasted for show. It was all to put on a show of religiosity. Many of the first century population then imitated their bad example so they could be seen by people or have bragging rights or appear to be really devout before God. And Christ is now going to teach them a different way to look at this practice. He taught us a different way to look at giving. He taught us a different way to look at praying. Now he's going to tell us a different way to fast. Read aloud with me from your outline. So we read it together. Verses 16 through 18. Everyone together, here we go. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now what our Lord teaches you is the wrong way to fast and then the real reason, listen, believers can fast. Are you ready? To embrace fasting as a non-dietary optional spiritual discipline. Listen, I I just want you to have this 
in your gun belt, right? You're in a spiritual warfare, okay? You're, the bullets are flying. It's genuine. Ephesians 6, it's the enemy is real. You need to have the fasting bullet there because when you pull that baby out, it's powerful, and it can serve you, and it can help you in your walk with God, all right? So we're going to look at this as a very positive response because Jesus teaches it as something that is a part of our lives. Just don't do it for show. So what's he say? Number one in your outline, don't draw attention to yourself when you fast. Don't draw attention to yourself. The Greek words for fasting there are used around 30 times in the New Testament. The term literally means not to eat, to abstain from food, obviously. And fasts were sometimes total, sometimes they were partial, uh, but the normal fast was no food, just water. No food, just water. So testing their hearts to see if they're showing off or they're sincerely offering their heart to Christ. He says in verse 16, whenever you fast, don't put on the gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they're fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. He begins with that phrase. Look at it, the very first three words. Whenever you, what? Fast. That supports the idea that fasting is not commanded, but it also supports the idea that it is not a requirement, but when it's practiced, it does have some regulations, principles that guide it that Jesus is giving here. Sadly, in the first century, a lot of people who fasted were just doing it to try to earn favor with God, try to earn their salvation, to appear to be religious with people. They were self-righteous. They were proud. They, they made it into a show, religion on display. You know, They're not eating, but everybody knows it. They didn't fast out of devoutness. It was out of display. Like every other aspect of a Jewish religious life, the religious leadership had perverted it. And so now fasting became a way that you could earn points with God. Christianity teaches that you'll never earn points with God, that God had to do the work for you through his son. That's what makes Christianity unique. They were saying, no, 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 we can, by fasting, become more favorable to God, earn more favor, be blessed by him, and maybe earn our own salvation. So in this parable that you've read in the New Testament, I'm sure at some point, Luke chapter 18, verse 12, the Pharisee in the parable says, I fast twice a week. And he said it just that way. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. And the Pharisees did fast twice a week. They did. They usually fasted, are you ready, on the second and fifth days of every week. Now, why would a Pharisee fast on Monday and on Thursday? Why would they do that? Well, they claimed that that's the two days that, G, that, that Moses went up on, on Sinai and got the law from God. He got it from them on a Monday and then on a Thursday. And they thought, those are the sacred days. But it just so happens that those two days, Monday and Thursday, are the two major Jewish market days. Just so happen. When the cities are most crowded with farmers and shoppers, and they were therefore the two days where public fasting could be viewed by the vast majority of people. <gasps> they were fasting in order to be, what? Seen by men. Ouch. And Jesus even takes their hypocrisy and exposes it even a step further in verse 16. Look what he says. Catch what they're doing. Those who wanted to call attention to their fasting would put on a gloomy face. Not a happy face, a gloomy face. And neglect their appearance. 
in order to be seen fasting by men. They would literally, you know how, you know, it's so popular today to rip your jeans, right? You know, and sometimes you're looking at their jeans and go, there's no jeans left. There's just tatters, right? But it's cool, all right? It's cool. That's what they would do. They would tear their clothes, but it was not to make them look cool, but ratty, you know, poor, uh, really suffering. And, and that's exactly what the words indicate, the tearing, the wearing, soiling of clothes. They had, does anybody here wake up every morning and you look at yourself in the mirror and your hair is like, like a new shape every morning? Now, some of you are like, it just you wake up and it's always the same. Some of us wake up and it's like, wow. What happened, you know, and nuclear thing this way, and things everywhere. Well, they would literally, the Pharisees would actually mess their hair up in a way that they looked disheveled and, and like, like not put together and suffering. And so they would impress everybody with their torn clothes, their disheveled hair, and then they sometimes would put dirt on their face or on their body, so they looked really, really rough. And, and in every household, remember, it's not a stove, it's a, it's a fire, so there's ash there, so they'd smear ashes. And it actually says in, the, in certain historical documents, they, they put on makeup. They, they got plants and they, they, they make their face look extra pale and sickly. Their motto was this, you can't be a serious believer unless you're gloomy and uncomfortable. All right? And wear a suit. Did I say that? No. Okay, so don't forget what Jesus has been teaching here. With their giving, their praying, and now their fasting, they're playing the verse 16. What's the word? Hypocrite. And you know where that word came from. We've said it multiple times. It came from the Greek plays where they'd put a mask on with a big unhappy face or the happy face to portray a person or a, a mood. And so when they're fasting, they're putting on a show, a mask, so that they're trying to communicate just how spiritual they are. It's full throttle theatrics. Full throttle theatrics. In fact, Jesus says, if your heart isn't right, Christ is saying, then your fasting is a sham. It's a sham. Any fasting in order to be seen by men is condemned by Christ here. It's condemned. Because the actors were pretentious. They were proud. And everything they did centered around themselves. And, and what began as a spiritual discipline was prostituted by the leadership to an occasion of like pompous self-righteousness and showing off. They're, they're trying to earn their way. They're trying to be more spiritual than you. So they're going to fast and they're going to let you know they're fasting. They're going to show by the way they even look. God's character, God's glory, God's purposes, God's word, and God's will were not in their thinking at all. They were not fasting to draw near to God, to learn from Him, to please Him, to understand what His will is for their life. And the Lord then says, I have no part in their reward. Their reward now and their reward for all eternity. Their reward they wanted was the recognition of men. And the Bible tells us right here, they get it. They get exactly, but that's all they get, is the recognition of men. That's all they receive. Nothing more than that. Those warnings by the Lord here in this sermon unfortunately have kept many Christians from fasting because they don't want to do it incorrectly. John Calvin even warned many for want of knowing fasting's usefulness undervalue its necessity and some reject it altogether as superfluous 
While the, on the other hand, where the proper use of fasting is not well understood, it easily degenerates into superstition. So it's not a joke. God did not design it for dieting. So what's it for? Well, we're going to find that answer in the next point, which is next point is just act normal when you fast. So what's it for? He's going to tell us. Verse 17 and 18. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Of the 30 times that fasting is mentioned in the New Testament, it is almost always in a favorable way. It's a very positive presentation in the New Testament. In fact, um, maybe hopefully you'll understand that what it actually happened. We, we, we think that even in the early church that fasting was overemphasized. Because as the centuries progressed, you know that the original documents of the New Testament and multiple copies, we have over 24,000 copies of various parts of the New Testament that form, that we get understanding of what the real meaning of the, the Scripture is. And in those early copies... <laughs> Later on, in the later copies, scribes would add four times, we know, in the New Testament, the word fasting, when it wasn't found in the original text. They added it because they were so zealous for it. Are you tracking with me? So they added it, even though we know from the earliest documents that wasn't meant there in that passage. And so, understand, it was very, very important to the early church. But other than the favorable accounts... What you have in the Gospels and the Epistles show and prove that proper fasting is a legitimate form of spiritual devotion when necessary. When necessary. Again, back in verse 16, Jesus' statement, when you fast, indicates that fasting is acceptable in the Christian life. By saying when you fast, he's assuming his followers will fast on certain occasions. When you read this passage carefully, Christ does not command He does not specify, he does not specify a particular time, specify a particular place, or even a particular method of fasting, but he does say when you fast. And because our Christ did his amazing sacrifice once for all on the cross, suffering all of hell that should have been poured out on you on the cross in your place, that single day of atonement and its required fasting That has ceased to exist for Christians today because of what Christ did. But the Lord's disciples did not fast while the bridegroom was with them. And typically in the first century, fasting was associated with mourning and spiritual need in Christ's day. Mourning and spiritual need. But fasting is never shown in Scripture to be a technique uh, to heighten spiritual awareness, to give you visions, to uh, achieve spiritual insight like it was with the mystics. Fasting is appropriate today, Christian, because Christ is physically absent from the earth, but it's appropriate only as a response to special times of testing, special times of trial, special times of struggle. Look at that quote. One writer says this, Fasting is a practice that frees us from the chains of this world, allowing us to hunger more freely for God. That's the point. That's the point. So what can the New Testament tell us are the reasons a Christian may fast? Now, if you 
look up all the references of fasting in the New Testament, you draw them together, you're going to find some basic reasons for fasting. And here they are in your outline. You fast, are you ready? When you're in a time of mourning. First, a time of mourning. Fasting is appropriate during times of sorrow. When God caused the first child born to Bathsheba by David to be taken ill, David fasted and pleaded for the infant's life in 2 Samuel chapter 12. David even fasted on behalf of his enemies. His enemies. In Psalm 35, he says, When they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth, and I humbled my soul with fasting. Listen. Listen carefully. When you experience deep grief, fasting is a natural human response. It is. I remember when my dad passed away. I didn't want to eat. I didn't eat for three days. Nobody had to tell me to do it. I just didn't want to eat. I was fasting. It was a response to grief. And most people don't feel like eating when they're grieving. They just don't. Their appetite is gone. The food is the last thing they're concerned about. During a time of mourning, now listen, unless a person is getting seriously weak from hunger or they have some specific medical reason for needing to eat, you're not helping them by insisting that they eat. Let them fast. Let them grieve. It's a part of who we are as Christians. Secondly, in times of danger. In times of danger, overwhelming peril often prompts fasting. King Jehoshaphat proclaimed a national fast in Judah when they were threatened with attack from the Moabites and the Amorites, 2 Chronicles. I mean, from a human standpoint, they could not win this battle. They're totally going to be overrun, so they have no chance at all. So they cried out to God for help, and they forsook food as they did so. You know the story of Queen Esther, right? All the Jews in the capital city of Susa fasted for three full days before she went before the king to plead for her people, the Jews, to be spared from Haman's wicked scheme to kill them all against her people. And she's going to stand firm. She's going to go talk to the king. Everybody fast. Thirdly, in times of repentance. Repentance. Penitence is often accompanied by fasting. David fasted after his double sin when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, when he committed murder by sending her husband, Uriah, to the front lines to be killed. Daniel fasted as he prayed to forgive uh, the sins of his people. Deep repentance brings about a type of focused mourning which sometimes leads to fasting. It doesn't have to, but it can. And when the people of Nineveh heard Jonah, the prophet, they were so convicted, they believed in God, and it says in Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 and 7, called a great fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, that means all the palace, all the very wealthy, and the least of them, for the decree of the king that they would not let a man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing, rather than resent this preaching and warning of coming judgment. They repented, they turned to God, and they sought his forgiveness, and they fasted. Fourthly, in a time of revelation, revelation, fasting was sometimes associated with receiving or proclaiming a special revelation from God. When Daniel contemplated Jeremiah's prediction that there would be 70 years that they would be in exile in Daniel 9, he gave his attention to the Lord your God 
and to seek him and by prayer, it says in Daniel 9, and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now, I know you get this. I know you do. But even though fasting was connected to the giving of God's revelations, fasting did not and was not the means of achieving those revelations from God. All right? Understand, Daniel was fasting simply as a natural accompaniment to his desperate desire to seek God's will. His desperate desire to seek God's will. You and I often fail to understand God's word fully as we ought, simply because, unlike those great people of God, we do not seek to comprehend uh, with the same degree of intensity and determination. We want to know what God says. We want to know what his word reveals. Skipping a few meals, would you agree, is a small price to pay for staying in the word until understanding comes? Anybody with me? Are you determined to learn? Have you ever been around somebody determined to learn and know what God wants, whether it's in the written revelation or it's through wisdom, through his will? But that's part of what fasting can cultivate. Fifthly, in times of ministry beginning, fasting often accompanies and begins uh, important tasks or ministries, the beginning of those important tasks or ministries, like Jesus fasting for 40 days and nights before he was tempted in the wilderness, after which he began his public ministry. That's what happened. Intensity and zeal over proclaiming God's word can become so consuming in your heart and mind that, that food has no appeal and no place. Though abstaining from food had absolutely no spiritual value in and of itself, when eating is an intrusion on that, which is immeasurably more important, food will be willingly, gladly, and discreetly forsaken. I don't know if you understand this, but I tell you the truth. And I'm not trying to sound spiritual here. I just There are certain days where I'm in the midst of studying for this moment, to feed this flock that Gene knocks on the door and says, lunch is ready, and I have to fight bitterness. I said, don't interrupt me. I'm in the midst of trying to understand God's word. And, and when I was younger and dumber, I would make her feel like I was God. You know, you're interrupting God, okay? You know, God speaking to me. I don't do that anymore, but I still battle with, you've just interrupted and I, I don't want to stop right now. Right now is not a good time to stop. I'd rather have my food go cold than to stop the, and, and to understand what the Bible has to say. Are you tracking with me? Both before and after the Holy Spirit directed the church at Antioch, he set apart Barnabas and Saul for a special ministry. The people were praying and fasting. In fact, in Acts, those two men of God, they ministered God's word. When they did, they prayed and they fasted as they appointed elders in the churches they founded in Acts chapter 14. The early church didn't choose and send out leaders arbitrarily or carelessly or by popular vote. They sought the Lord's will, his headship in the church, especially in decisions that the scripture is silent. They really wanted to know, is this your will? And they fasted. Only the Lord knows how much a leadership or a church body today could be strengthened if they were that determined to find and follow God's will. I can be very honest with you. At a certain point in my life, I didn't know whether I should go to seminary or not. I didn't know where he was directing me. I was a young man. I was dumb. I was reading my New Testament. And I'm like, 
I think I better fast. And I just fasted for three days just waiting to get clarity and direction. Because I wanted to be right where he wanted me to be. Anybody there? You want to be exact. You don't know which way to go. It's not laid out in the word. And so you need his wisdom. And you're saying, Lord, guide us. Maybe you ought to consider fasting. And make those extra focused times of prayer. That's the gift that he's given us here. Fasting is an expression of secretly wanting to know the Lord's will no matter what. Secretly wanting to know the Lord's will no matter what. Now, don't get goofy. Fasting has no more power to assure you that someone is a godly leader or any more than it has the ability to assure you of forgiveness or protection or any other good thing from God. But fasting can be an expression of sincere dedication. And it can be an expression that you're saying, I want to determine and know and understand God's will for my life and have his power before decisions are made before plans are laid, before actions are taken. Believers who are consumed with God's will don't take a lunch break. In every biblical account, genuine fasting, write this down, is linked to prayer. Maybe put it to you this way. You can pray without fasting, but you cannot fast biblically without praying. You get it? Fasting is an affirmation of intense prayer and a corollary of deep spiritual struggle before God. Fasting is never an isolated act, a ceremony, or a ritual that has some inherent efficacy or merit. It has no spiritual value at all in and of itself. Get this. In fact, fasting can become a spiritual hindrance. It can become a sin when it's done for any reason apart from knowing and following the Lord's will. You want to know what He wants you to do. Fasting also is linked with a dependent heart and biblical living. I mean, read Zechariah. And in Zechariah, in chapter 7, God says that Israel's 70 years of fasting meant nothing to him because it was done insincerely. Just like the hypocrites in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is condemning this type of fasting in the Sermon on the Mount because the Israelites were only living for themselves and showing off. That was it. That's all that was going on. In fact, Jesus tells you who belongs to him, and you Christians here, that's what I'm talking about here, in verses 17 and 18, he says, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you may not be seen fasting by men. To anoint your head with oil was commonly done as a matter of good grooming. Let's swing back to the 50s, right? You know, got a nice little oil change there, okay, right? You got that oil on the head. Sometimes it was scented and partly used as a perfume. Faces naturally got a lot more dirty in that culture where sometimes the floor of your house was dirt. It didn't have a rug. It was just dirt. And there was always a a fire there and and ash and, and ways to get really smudged all up. And so washing the face became a necessity, a daily, sometimes multiple times a day necessity. And Jesus' point was this, as a Christian who fasts, Do everything you can to make yourself look normal. Don't do anything to attract attention to your deprivation and spiritual struggle. And I know that's a challenge. You know, your wife's going to go, hey, eat your dinner. You're like, "Uh uh uh-huh, you know, I don't want to tell you. Well, now you've told me. Okay, so a believer who sincerely wants to please God will diligently avoid trying to impress men. And verse 18 He will determine not to be seen fasting by men, 
you won't tell others. You don't tell them. And our Father is the God who knows your thoughts and sees you in private. And the Lord does not say you should fast for the purpose of being seen, even by God. Fasting is not to show off to God. It's for no one. It's, it's for you to be in a state where you're concentrating. You're intense in your season of prayer. You have a genuine concern for the Lord. You want His will. You want His wisdom. You want His work to advance. Are you tracking? It's for you to be a part of seeking His plan. And the Lord's telling you that the Father never fails to notice fasting that's genuine. And that He never fails to reward it. It says, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Maybe a greater capacity in eternity to glorify Him. More crowns to throw at His feet. A way in which to celebrate our great God in a greater, more intimate way. But you're going to be rewarded and there's going to be blessing even today. Christian, your Savior is reminding you that our Father is omniscient. He knows what? Everything. He's omnipresent, which means He's everywhere. And He knows everything is everywhere present. He sees what no one else sees. Remember this. He knows your thoughts right now. He knows your mind. He knows your motives. He knows what you don't say. That's scary for me. He knows what you do in private. All of it. And when all those secret places are lived for His glory and in the power of the Spirit, you're rewarded now and eternally later. And when, if you fast and it's done that no one knows except for the Lord Himself, it's eternally rewarded. It's done in a way in which you're wanting to know what he can, how He can direct you and to stay walking in His will. How you live now when in His strength and for His glory will matter for all eternity. He will reward you as you depend on Him. So, let's take this home. Are you ready? Make choices to manifest joy. Let's, let, let's not be gloomy. This is part of what it's saying. He's saying, hey, wash your face, go through life as if nothing's happening, even though your stomach is growling, you just go through it. He's, listen, if you've been here and, and you are a believer, you're forgiven, you're cleansed, you're washed of all your sin, past, present, and future. You've been made new. You know, being a Christian is not like being a little bit better than what you were before a Christian. Being a Christian is being a new person with a new nature that wants to please the Lord. Not perfectly, but progressively. But you want to. You're justified. You're regenerate. You're empowered. You're rescued from God's wrath. You're ready for heaven. If that's you, then how can you not be characterized by joy? Really, today, if you're a dill pickle believer, if you're a curmudgeon, repent. Repent. There's no place for that. There isn't. Because following Christ is like the celebration of a wedding feast. Walking with Christ elicits joy. It is joy. It demands joy. And if you hope ever to influence your children to want to follow Christ, then be parents who manifest joy. If you desire to impact your lost friends who don't know Christ with the gospel, then keep your heart hot with joy. Be attractive, not dill pickly. 
And if you want to affect brothers and sisters around you for God's glory, then be a believer who's known for joy. You're not to be known as people of sadness, but a people of gladness. God with us brings joy. God within us brings joy unspeakable and full of glory. Can I hear an amen to that? Come on, just take a moment and sit back and go, you know, there's going to be an inner joy. Letter B. Consider secret fasting when in sorrow, repenting, or beginning ministry, or wanting to know his direction. Our Lord and Master did not intend fasting for dieting. It's fine if you do. It's fine if you do. Please don't tell me your technique for dieting on fasting. I don't want to hear it. All right? In fact, I had some people come in earlier and go, I don't want to hear about fasting because I like eating. And I'm like, good, praise God. I love eating too. All right? I don't think that's the point here, right? The point is, is to express fasting as a part of desiring to know his will and to, to, to understand and be dependent upon him during certain times where the Lord leads you to fast. I mean, he's going to lead you. You're, all of a sudden, after today, you're going to go, maybe I should fast. When you're put in a situation that you're like, I really want to know what he wants me to do, or you're overwhelmingly grieved over some sorrow, you're just going to fast. It's okay. And we're going to encourage you to do so. It's fine if you fast for your diet, that's fine. But that's not the purpose of fasting. From our passage today, fasting is not for showing off, it's not impressing others, it's not even impressing God. The one who sincerely wants to please God will painstakingly avoid trying to impress other people. You're not trying to do that. Fasting is a secret companion of intense prayer for the purpose of seeking God's will clinging to his person, and aligning your heart with his. Let me say it again. Fasting is a secret companion of intense prayer for the purpose of seeking God's will, clinging to his person, and aligning your heart with his heart. Getting in tune with that. It's, it's to turn meal times into prayer times. Fasting is to deny earthly needs so that you can pursue heavenly wisdom. And fasting is best done secretly. Don't let anybody know, if you can help it, except the Lord. Fasting is a practice that frees you from the chains of this world and allows you to hunger more freely for God. Getting it? You get the reason? Letter C. Allow Lord's fasting principles to guide you. To guide you. Fasting is not commanded, but it is normal and acceptable action in the Christian life. It is normal and and acceptable. Fasting is typically a response to special times of testing, trial, and struggle. Fasting is a natural accompaniment to any believer who is seeking God's will in a special way. Should I marry this person? Fast. Should I take this new direction? Fast. Should I move to Idaho? No. Okay. <laughs> What a mistake. (laughs) Fasting is also linked to prayer. Let me say it again. You can pray without fasting. You cannot fast biblically without praying. That's the point. It's to free you up in prayer. Fasting is dependent upon a right heart and must be associated with obedient, reliant living. Fasting is brought on by a burdened heart that does without food for a season so there can be concentrated intense prayer and concern for the Lord, His will, and His work. It's a gift. 
And Jesus' point in these verses is for Christians who fast to do everything they do to make themselves look normal, do nothing to attract attention to your deprivation or your spiritual struggle. Just fast before the Lord in secret. And letter D, don't fast unless it's for Christ. Don't fast unless it's for Christ. Our Lord was obvious in these verses in this section. Stop doing religious stuff. Oh, oh, don't, don't sin by putting your notes away. Don't, don't do that. Their people are doing giving, and they're doing it wrong. Their heart's wrong. They're praying. They're praying, and their hearts are wrong. And they're fasting, and their hearts are wrong because they're doing it for themselves. They're doing it to impress others. And worst of all, they're doing it from an empty heart. Only those who've surrendered to Christ and saving faith and general repentance should ever consider fasting in this manner. And what that means is simply this. You have to believe that Jesus is the God-man and that unique, apart from all the religions of the world, Christ, Christianity, God comes and does the work lives a perfect life without sin, then offers himself without sin on the cross to, re- to become sin, to deal with all the punishment that you deserve for your sin that separates you from God now and forever. And all of God's wrath was poured out on Christ to the point that he actually said, my God, my God, why hast thou... For-? It was horrific what he experienced. He experienced hell for you. Having no sin of his own, he rises from the dead, he sends into a heaven. And now, if you say, I believe that he is the God-man who died on my behalf, took care of the separation that occurs because of sin, and all my sin is punished there, he can cover you in his righteousness, making you right standing with him. You can be with him because he did the work, not because of what you did, but because of what he did. You can stand before him now and forever. And then he changes your heart in such a way that you want to follow him You want to please him. You want to know him. You want to obey him. Not because you have to, but because you want to. And that's why you should never fast unless it's for Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this reminder. Thank you that you took the time on that slope to remind all these people about what true fasting is. And thank you for reminding us in the midst of a fasting world that we understand now your purpose in fasting. We pray that you would be pleased in how you are responded to today, that your word would be responded to by us in a way that you would delight in. And it may be that one or two would be drawn to you in salvation, but the rest of us would say, you know, when that situation rises, that I'm not afraid to do without so I can focus in concentrated prayer and intimacy with my God, seeking his will, that he would direct me, direct us, right where he wants us to be, and to do so for your pleasure, and to do so with intimacy with you and no one else. And Father, we'll give you all the glory for what you'll do. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening today. 
Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day. Thank you.